You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, I'm talking with Colleen Ceballos, who is a strategic person working on R at Roche. And so this will be pretty cool because you learn a lot about what is currently ongoing in that space and how it will impact our industry. And also you'll learn a little bit about strategy by the way. So stay tuned for this really, really nice interview with Colleen. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.blog to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, and today I'm really happy to have Colleen Tobias from Rush with us, and we will speak about lots of stuff about R, which is, you know, pretty big change in the in the organization, and with that, there's a lot of other associated changes. So, Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very good. Maybe. Can I uh, introduce yourself to the listener and what you're doing and what your, um, how you came to this position at Rush? Mm. Yeah, sure. So again, thanks for having me on your podcast and hi, everyone listening. So my name is Colleen Ceballos. I'm a Swiss and, Swiss and French nationality-wise. I'm married and I don't have kids. Uh, that's for the... the for, little introduction. Professionally, I'm our strategy lead at uh, Roche Informatics, actually, since about uh, three years, two and a half years, precisely. And I believe we'll talk more about my, my job and its impact in this interview. But before I, if you allow me to elaborate a bit more on my, my background, because even though you, you probably saw me regularly, probably in the past two years in conferences about, you know, pharma, regulatory submissions and R, validation, health authority, I actually don't have a statistical or biometrics background or education. I actually come from business, strategy, management. Mm -hmm. uh, I did th those kind of studies before joining Roche. And I have, in terms of experience, uh, finance, data analysis, data science, and actually also entrepreneurship experiences. And mm -hmm. so I worked for GlaxoSmithKline, Zurich Insurance, and then I created my own company before joining Roche. And I'm pretty sure that that's precisely this that Roche was looking for when they hired me, you know, mm -hmm. this strange or eclectic, not so typical set of skills and experience. And I can say now with distance that I think I bring something complementary to the very technical and clinical experts that we hire at Roche that are amazing and doing an excellent work. But I, I actually co complement them and I rely on them actually for uh, rely on their expertise 
and I try to enable them to, to be better at what they do. So this is in short. And maybe to finish my introduction, and because I believe that to be an accomplished professional, you also need to take time for your you know, out-of-work passions. So very quickly, what I like to do outside of work is singing. I do opera singing style. I sing wow, that's music cool. Conservatories. Yeah, for many years. I do some public performances from time to time. I won't share anything right now, but uh, yeah, that's what I like to do. And also I started uh, kite surfing a couple of years ago. So that's wow. another of my hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, so that's a really, really interesting combination. So let's talk a little bit about your role. When I saw the, the role of credit lead, I was really intrigued because on one hand, of course, R in itself is a hot topic yeah, for, for a couple of years, and it's only has becoming more hot over the last years. You know, the, uh, the progress is amazing. There's uh, more and more companies that invest in that. If we think about people coming from university, most of them are well-trained in R. There's a lot of new releases in terms of R packages. Just recently, there was a new release for, for basically a publishing platform from our studio. There's a lot of, lot of things going on. And also, when I think about the, the wonderful Wednesday webinar series with, with all the data visualization, nearly all of the submissions are in R. And so just, that just speaks to, you know, the shift that we had over the years. Because when I, maybe five, six years ago, everything involved. And so there has been a really, really dramatic shift. So the other part of the role that I found really interesting is strategy, because I think strategy in itself is a super interesting topic that I've encountered over a couple of years now. I had earlier as a podcast guest, I had a person that was writing about strategy how you know a lot of the strategy has developed more in the military space and how we can learn from that for the business area. We do that earlier, obviously, in, in the show notes. And I have the author of this book uh, here. I just blank on the name. But <laughs> so these two, two things really intrigue me. So tell me a little bit more about what is our strategy lead. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, this is my daily life right now. And I, it's definitely a new new role, I think, in at Roche and I'm sure, you know, in, in other pharmaceutical companies. It, so I'm, I want to emphasize the fact that I'm our strategy lead in informatics. So at Roche Informatics, it's a slightly different than being in the business, what we call it. You know, usually we say informatics versus business. It really, it, it has two different functions. So I'm in informatics and on the business side, you have also, you know, you have the R developers, the biostatisticians, the leads, study leads. And uh, we also have an R enablement lead actually um, to make sure that developers are trained in R and Git. So that's on the business side. What I do in the informatics side, and I think what was quite strategic, a strategic decision and move from Roche uh, two years ago and when they hired me, is really that they wanted someone to, to support the, the use of open source programming languages and to drive a strategy, lead us, have a strategy 
for supporting the use of open source programming languages in, in, in the business. So we have to build a cohesive approach for this because we can't have, you know, a different, for example, validation approach in each department or for each, if I exaggerate, for each study, you know, that, that would not be scalable and so on. So I play a role both internally and externally. So internally, what I do, so externally and externally from Roche, right? So internally, I lead and coordinate how informatics supports the use of open source programming languages in business functions, as I said. For example, I bring solutions to questions like, how do we validate our packages for our clinical trial data analysis and submissions in R? Because as you rightly said, we you said a shift from SAS to R. I would say we kind of maybe widened the scope of the programming languages we use because I think SAS will not disappear from the picture. But okay, let's. Uh, I think it's also symbolic to say that we are shifting to, to R, but um, SAS is still in the picture, just to say. So I answer solutions like that. Or also, how do we manage the versions and dependencies of our packages? So for example, we implemented the use of a package manager tool to, to do that. That's a new challenge. Yes, we didn't have that with SAS, right? So also, can we also validate Python packages? Okay, so things like this. I hear, I listen, I take those needs and I build teams, I find solutions. Also, something, for example, something that I, I did a, a year and a half ago, I built capabilities internally to validate our packages in an automated way. And so we, that this way, we actually removed dependencies with external vendors that were doing this for us. And we built, we brought the capabilities inside Rush. And I think that's really powerful because there's no reason why we, weren't, we shouldn't be able to validate our code ourselves. Because at the end, validation is about making sure your code is of good quality and that it does what it's supposed to do, right? Yeah. So we actually bring the, this capability and building software of quality inside, which is, I think, super uh, valuable. Uh, this implied that I created a team, you know, uh, we, I give the vision and make sure that the team is delivering a solution that fits our internal needs and satisfies our internal customers. So there's a whole operational side of things that I then also delegate once I, I, I build it, but that's one thing. I also extend, extended the validation process and tools to Python. So we not just did R, we're doing Python as well. And I also, I think this is more, this is less tangible, but I also connect the dots between different teams, you know, with similar needs uh, to avoid silos. Um, we need really to make sure we have a cohesive strategy. Also, I need to ensure that my key internal customers, first of all, and second of all, the decision makers, in this company, at least in, in Roche and Pharma, that they adhere, adhere to, the, to my strategy. Because without the support of other decision makers, I can't make a decision of you know, implementing a validation solution or investing in R and Python, no. So alignment is super important. So I spend a lot of my time communicating, removing doubts, misunderstandings, listening to new needs, challenges, and so on. So that's internally. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, go on with the external part. Exactly. Maybe also internally, something we did is we challenged and disrupted the traditional way of uh, validation uh, that was uh, traditionally uh, done. So we brought innovative, innovative ideas and also changed the way we did validation. Externally, I represent the work that we do at conferences, for example, R in Pharma, but I also did a couple of others. I also uh, voluntarily support and work for the R Consortium that most of you must know as an active member. And I do see, uh, another series of initiatives to promote the use of R 
cross industry. And I help new conferences see the light of day by using my network. For example, we're uh, putting right now a series of events around promoting the use of R in the insurance industry, for example, something that hasn't really been tackled. So, and I'm regularly also contacted by similar roles that I have, or actually my business counterparts in different companies. So we also talk about our different uh, challenges and share ideas. So Cool. What I really loved about kind of your description of your role internally is that it really has all these different aspects of strategy. Yeah, kind of first really understanding the problem. Yeah, like like you uh, just mentioned with the validation topic. Yeah, it's not just, okay, we have done validation stuff this way, so we'll do it the same way as now. No, understanding, okay, what is really validation? What is optimally required? And by having a different platform or maybe just, you know, 20 years or 30 years of experience with these kind of things, is there something we can do differently? So first really understanding the problem and then kind of understanding also also relationships, what is kind of the bigger picture of the problems, or see kind of what will happen, uh, takes all these kind of things into account, and then but not stop there, but also develop a tactical plan how to move it forward. Yeah. Challenging the status quo as well, I would add. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is you exactly. need a mindset. You need people also internally to that have this mindset. Not everybody has it. So sometimes it's more of a challenge than with other people, but it's we, we can make it. Yeah. It's how, how often do you run into in the sentence like, we've always done it that way? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, a lot. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can completely see that. So can you give an example for, for where you used it? Okay. We, completely changed the status quo. So if example for, with the validation, because we had a way of validating software in, inside Roche. We had, you know, the CSV validation way of doing, which was super, you know, clearly defined with, um, and we were using a certain tool set of, tool chain of, 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 of uh, tools, uh, sorry, a tool chain of tools, or a yeah, set of tools to validate. And we, you know, and it was super, squared and um, there was not a lot of innovation and, and possibility to and nobody actually I think ever uh, questioned the way we were doing validation because you know validation is, is seen as this this thing we have to do on top and we kind of you know we just do it or we delegate to a team of validation lead and we just you know that the, the people the experts don't really care about validation it's actually um, really annoying we we spoke with a lot of validation leads we explained our, our perspective that we need to integrate validation into the development process of an R package. Yeah. Right? Because the R, the R language allows you to, to have embedded in the code uh, your requirements, your tests, everything, all the information about the package is in the code. So you don't have to, you know, have your requirements in Jira, for example, and extract those and then pull them into another. No. Everything is in the code. Yeah. You just you, you you simply in between quotes simply need to extract that. Make sure that you have a test for each requirement without going into too much details, and then you produce the documentation that talks about what your package does and how we make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. All of this can be automated and is automated today, but we had to 
speak to a lot of people for that to happen. That I really love this example because it's, as you said, you know, every company has a procedures and it's always been done that way and you know, uses double programming, whatsoever. Yeah. And thinking, ah, oh, we, we can meet the same goal, the same underlying goal in different steps and understanding by what do we really do by these processes? What problem do we really solve? I think that is, is really part of strategy, kind of thinking things completely new. Yeah. yeah. And also because, uh, allow me to add that if you create code of good quality, if you're writing, you're developing, you're writing your package and you, you know, adopt best practices for code development, like, you know, you add your requirements, your tests, you develop a good syntax and so on, then validation is easy because you have everything you need in your package. And actually, so, you know, by, by, by creating this tool and by automating validation, we actually... Uh, embedded validation into development, but also we naturally increase the quality of our code um, very naturally as well. So it's a win-win. Yeah, and that also means that shifting from SaaS to R is not just replicating what you have done with the same processes and everything, just with a different language. It's a it's a mindset shift. You know, there's there's a lot of new opportunities. We've talked in the data visualization sake quite a lot about, you know, that you shouldn't do the same thing. So, so it, it shouldn't be just about, oh, we'll only we produce TFLs with R, now we produce TFLs with R. No, yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's about, well, TFLs are just one way to display, and, you know, insight, numbers. But just one way, yeah, and in many ways not an optimal way. It's just you know because we have been doing this for for twenty years, and you know we are used to sending big files and trucks with files to to the FDA, uh, and now we do that and uh, yeah, upload that data. But in the end, it's still pretty much the same. But for all of our internal processes, for all of these other things, well, we are not bound to you know. A4 sized table. So there's, there's lots of other opportunities. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I, I love the validation example because it shows so clearly that it's not just switching software, it's having very, very different mindset about it. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and again, I, I want to say that we're not really. So I, I want to say, I think it's important for, you know, I'm representing what we do at Rosh here. It's true that we are shifting to the use of open source programming languages, but we're not just erasing SAS from the picture. Actually, what we want to do, and I think because we think, well, obviously we think it's the right uh, thing, is, is we want to be able to say to our developers or our biostatisticians, use the language of your choice depending on the situation, depending on the type of analysis you need to do or, you know, machine learning uh, or whatever you need to do, depending also on your competencies and your capabilities. So we want to give them this option. And and that, that's something that's, uh, that we're working on. Yeah, that's the other thing, kind of the people side of it. Yeah, you can't just kind of switch from one day or one year to another kind of all those things because you need to take the people with you. Absolutely. 
Speaking now about what has happened, let's switch a little bit and speak about what might happen in the future, because that is one of the biggest interesting things. Yeah? So if you just kind of extrapolate from what you have seen, been doing in, in the last couple of years, what do you think will be possible in the future that is not possible now? I think we want to be, we're doing all of this to be more efficient in our, in this space, in the space I work in, in the clinical trial process, mm -hmm. the different phases, right? We're not just changing language uh, or changing our ways of working just to change, right? So it's mm -hmm. at the end to be more efficient and to deliver drugs more efficiently and so on. So from collecting the data to cleaning it, to transforming it into the CDIS formats, SDTM, Adam, to performing statistical analysis and then to submitting outputs, we, we are you know, adopting this open source mindset uh, so that we can do this more efficiently. Uh, for example, we are able to replace the many thousands of TLGs, you know, the tables, mm -hmm. listings, and graphs, those outputs that uh, are created uh, by our biostatisticians and, and data analysts team. We generate, we can actually um, view them, use app-based yep. uh, views of our data, right? which is much more efficient. Yep. This shift opens a lot of doors in terms of also code reuse. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if our colleague in Novartis or in Pfizer or in another uh, company has created a package to solve the same problem that we have or to, you know, in, in improve one part of the process, well, we should be able to reuse it mm -hmm. and instead of creating it again, right? So that's a dimension that open source programming language uh, adoption uh, enables, actually. So again, to be more efficient. But, but, but that means also much more transparent, isn't it? Yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so because um, what's happening now is very often kind of, you know, the code stays within the companies, just maybe share with the FDA, but you don't really see what's, what's going on outside. But when, you know, these kind of things are more public, you can see exactly, okay, for example, for imputing missing values or, you know, calculating certain things that are a little bit more complex, you can directly see, okay, this is exactly how they, they did it. So let's do it exactly the same way so that it's really consistent. Yeah, so that the apple from Roche is the same apple from Pfizer, the same apple from GSK. So I think you don't have to do exactly the same. And I think no company will do exactly, will satisfy itself with doing exactly what its neighbor is doing, right? You, in those big actors in the pharma industry, you always want to add your, your piece of, uh, piece of so, a bit of software. Yeah, but, but, for, but for, for example, if it's about defining a certain endpoint. So, so if you think like, well, treatment response, how do you define it here, here, here? You want to have comparable data across different studies. Yeah. And so then, of course, these kind of things make a lot of change. Of course, kind of in terms of you know, certain things will always be different. Well, when we study, we will say, oh, we want to use this primary endpoint or a different primary endpoint or later or earlier or different study population, all these kind of different things. Yeah. You'll always optimize for your compounds and for the success of your compound. But there's certain kind of, you know, understanding, okay, how did I do that? This will be, I guess, more, more transparent in the future. Yeah. And it, I think it fosters innovation, don't you think? Yes. yes. The funny thing is, standardization enables innovation. doesn't hinder it. 
because then you could do the things that you don't want to kind of innovate on faster, so you have more time to think about the the other things, you know, and spend time to with doing another demographic table that you have done for 20 years, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. What else do you think will be possible in the future? So I think I said already a, a number of things. So overall, so without going into the, I, I won't talk about the, so I'm not myself a SaaS programmer or I'm, you know, so I won't do comparison, like function by function comparison. But uh, at my level, at the strategic level, what I also see is that by opening up to open source programming languages and by, you know, enabling you to do submissions in SAS and R and Python in whichever language you want. I think we can also, you know, that's better for each company because you will do more likely uh, will put more molecules on the market, right? So it also opens opportunities. Also a side effect of that is that we work more with health authorities to enable this to happen. So there's more collaboration, communication, where maybe, whereas maybe in the past there are You know, it was just the status quo we were doing with SAS. Health authorities were uh, used to receiving SAS code and, and there was no innovation maybe really. I exaggerate, of course, but so I think it also, a side effect is that it also uh, allows co more communication and innovation on the health authority side. And they also need to train and, and give, you know, give more capabilities to their, their workforce. Yeah, that instead of potentially, as you just said, you know, you have these, long, long list of tables that you that you want to communicate and just printing them on, on paper or on PDF isn't really effective. So if you use internally uh, an app, can you provide that app also to, to the regulators? Can they maybe, you know, look into lots of different subgroups on their own way? You know, um, can you, instead of, you know, working on getting all the tables uh, validated, have more time for really good data visualizations, those interactive and, and, and explanatory data visualizations. I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to get away from the, let's say, the boring tasks, yeah, the repetitive tasks, and free up time for uh, the creative things, the innovative things. That would be really, really cool. There's one other thing that I think it could be very interesting is that The, the opportunity to connect the results together with their, with their metadata. Yeah. So that you directly see, okay, this number is a means on this endpoint at this time point in this study and so on. Yeah. And that will then later enable that you can use this beyond the, the regulatory submission, beyond the CSR. Yeah, that you can use it also for for publications, for um, HDA purposes, for clinical trials for health, for all kind of other areas. Yeah, so that it's not okay. The accessibility to the results themselves completely changes, and that what because what currently very often happens is you have this. PDF output, and then someone says, oh, we need to have a nice graphic from it. There's some poor guy been through all the PDF, has the number into Excel, press an Excel graphic, puts it into a, a PowerPoint, and it goes to somewhere else that's, that's 
that another person sees this, this ah, it was more like a, I leaked the same graphic, but with kind of different colors. But it just has the JPEG. So it kind of looks into, oh, this is approximately this is this number. It's a new copy, <laughs> Excel spreadsheet, and there's no traceability whatsoever. And I think with this integration, there's, there will potentially the opportunity to be much more both forward and backward traceable. Yeah, so, so that you have in terms of forward traceability, I mean, kind of, you can see this data point was used in all these different areas, as well as if you see uh, an output. Uh, slide or whatever, you can go back to, oh, that is where, where it was first programmed. And that will help a lot for companies to understand what they actually know. Because I think many companies have so much knowledge that there's nobody that oversees this knowledge. Yeah. But this has been in many, many situations where I also spoke with colleagues about kind of you know what, lots of decisions do later on in the life cycle? They search. They search for the analysis. Have we done that? Probably we have done that. We must have done that. There's this kind of you know, number here. So, so where's the corresponding output? Yeah. And that's so ineffective. Yeah. Absolutely. It goes in hand it goes hand in hand with the reusability of the data. So find findability of the mm. data and traceability and reusability. Yeah. Yeah, right. awesome. So that covers really a lot of points that we wanted to talk about. I love kind of this strategic uh, approach to that, kind of coming to the status quo, really understanding the problem, up to kind of implementing a solution and moving these things forward. It means that, you know, when we shift from SARS to R, it's not just, you know, same stuff, different name, and it has a lot of opportunities in the future. That's so cool. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, we need to take the people with us to, to make sure that, yeah, because there surely will be a very, very long transition period. Yes. And there's a lot of interest already. I, I can see it, you know, with the audience that come to the events that uh, the R Consortium organizes that, that you know, um, that I, I also bring together uh, internally and externally. There are there's a lot of interest. We had about 600 um, uh, participants live in the last last week. We did an R adoption mm -hmm. series. Um, event with three FDA speakers, um, and and that was uh, thanks to the work of my colleague Ning Lang from Roche and myself. Um, and it was a huge uh, six hundred is a lot of participants for this type of event, so huge interest. Um, people are watching the recording a lot, so you know. I so again, you know, I want to address myself to all the the, the people in different companies who work on this topic, who help drive this, uh, this strategy, because we need all of you. And we also, you know, I, I take this very seriously um, and I want to build common understanding on what we're doing and bring people together uh, around this, uh, this move to open source uh, shift. Cool. Thanks so much, uh, Colleen. That was an outstanding last, last statement. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Alex. Have you already requested access to the libraries that we have with all the free content around the effective statistician? If not, 
head over to theeffectivestatistician.com and look for this free library. There's all kind of different nice things about it. Data visualizations, the webinar recordings, everything that I have for free is in there. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS who help with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.